Welcome to Parse, the official podcast of the Elaheo Midyar Mir Jalali Institute of Iranian Studies at the University of Toronto. In Persian, Parse means strolling or wandering around as an observer of contemporary life and modernity. In a similar spirit, our podcast Parse aims to take our listeners on an intellectual stroll in the field of Iranian studies, where they can listen to different ideas from leading thinkers, academics, activists, and authors in the discipline. Our podcast will provide thought-provoking excerpts from lectures and seminars organized by the Iranian Studies Institute at U of T to make the extensive work we do with our partners more accessible to academics and non-academics alike across Canada and beyond. The 28th episode of Parse is a snippet of a talk given by Nikki Akhavan on the large body of popular and officially supported Iranian cinematic works centered on the Iran and Iraq war, or what is otherwise known as sacred defense cinema. Throughout the decades, the representations of the war and themes related to it have shifted in accordance to the political exigencies of any particular moment. This talk focuses on the triple figures of the active soldier, martyr, and veteran, especially as they appear in films from the second decade of the new millennium, roughly from 2014 to 2018, to examine how these representations become vehicles of not only furthering a favored narrative about the Iran and Iraq war, but more importantly, for justifying Iran's policy decisions, especially as they pertain to its military interventions in the region. Nikia Chavon is an associate professor and chair of the Department of Media and Communication Studies at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. She is the author of Electronic Iran, The Cultural Politics of an Online Evolution, published in 2013, and has also published on Iranian narrative and documentary cinema, the intersections of Iranian media and gender, information warfare in the age of digital media, and the relationship between Iranian sports and media. My talk today, as you mentioned, is about the is about Iran-Iraq war cinema with a specific focus on the second decade of the new millennium. And what I'd like to submit to you at the outset of, of this talk is that my examinations of the Iran-Iraq war cinema in general, but actually this period in particular, tell us a lot about the current state of the Iranian state, the cracks within the state, uh, its attempts to shape national narratives, to use external threats as a means to justify internal repression, and also its increasing inability to convince even those who are historically in its orbit of its preferred narratives. So while my talk is not about contemporary events unfolding at this moment, it does actually set, I think, for us a, a broader context that's relevant to where we find ourselves today. Uh, the Iran-Iraq war, despite having ended more than 34 years ago, it continues to have resonance today. Some of the basic facts of the war continue to be still debated, and it continues to be conjured up for various political agendas, a fact which is reflected in Iranian cinema. Um, the cinema related to the Iran-Iraq war began while the war was raging. It continues to this current day, and it constitutes a vast body of work, some of which is officially recognized in Iran and in the scholarship as its own category or its own genre under the moniker of sacred defense cinema. 
Sometimes I or others may use the term sacred defense cinema and Iran-Iraq war cinema interchangeably, but they are actually not interchangeable. So not all Iranian war cinema is sacred defense cinema and not all sacred defense cinema is war cinema as that category is generally understood in you know, cinema studies or media studies uh, or even conventionally um, how war cinema is understood. So in this presentation, I'm concerned with the latter category, the films that have been identified or self-identify as the cinema of sacred defense, which can be defined um, as a genre that promotes the state's dominant story of the war and the legacy of the war. If we take a cursory look over this 30 plus years period of cinematic production, you can detect the representations of the war and the themes related to, a, to them, whether it's about the life of veterans, martyrs, um, themes broadly related to, to the war, they've shifted in accordance to the political exigencies of any particular moment. There's also um, shifts in cinematic form. A, a lot of that can be attributed to developments in media technology and production and post-production techniques, and as well as the development of big studios uh, or, or studio location spaces for shooting films inside Iran. Um, I'm not gonna, lucky for your audience, I'm not gonna go into detail about any of those technical uh, developments, but these developments do impact storytelling. They uh, impact how narratives related to the war and sacred uh, defense narratives can be de depicted and in turn, how audiences can be engaged or brought in uh, to the story. Some of the main questions that I've asked in serving the cinema of sacred defense, and this is still a study in progress, which is why I really appreciate uh, events like this because I look forward to whatever feedback I, I get from your audience. It, the questions are very basic. Who and what is being depicted? How are they being depicted? What's the political and cultural work that's being attempted, attempted, which also speaks to who's the audience there? What kind of audience are they reaching out to? But even more importantly, what kind of audiences are they trying to create via this cinema? I was also interested in the critical reception the films are getting inside the country because that too is indicative of whether or not these films are doing the political work that um, is intended. Um, for this presentation, I focus on two main works and two main directors. The first film I look at is The Bodyguard from the veteran filmmaker Ebrahim uh, Hotamikia who's recognized as a definer of the sacred defense cinema, particularly on the narrative fiction side. This film centers on an Iran-Iraq war veteran who is in the security forces as a bodyguard, though as we're gonna see very shortly, that English term bodyguard is a point of contention in the film, and it's the pivot around uh, which the film makes its main claims. Bodyguard was released in 2016, and it's set around the time that it was released. The second film I'm going to speak about is Standing in the Dust by Mohammad Hossein Mahtavian, who I argue is the uh, newest boundary breaker and um, boundary maker in defining a new style in sacred defense cinema, both on the documentary and narrative fiction side. Today, I'm gonna work, uh, focus on his narrative fiction uh, work. Standing in the Dust is a biopic of Ahmad Mutavassalian, uh, an IRGC commander who disappeared in Lebanon in 1982. 
this film also released in 1982, uh, no, in 2016, is obviously not set in the present. So we have one film set in the present about a war veteran made by a veteran filmmaker of sacred defense cinema. And we have one about a soldier set during the war made by a rising star of this cinema. So although these are two very different filmmakers from two different generations, different filmmaking styles, both of them were released in the same year. And very notably, they were both uh, sponsored by the OJ Arts and Media Organization, which is said to have direct links to the IRGC uh, and has been extremely active in funding and supporting a range of media productions since uh, 2013. So some of the media productions uh, or larger mediated uh, campaigns that they've that they've done that uh, folks may be familiar with goes back to 2013 when they were they did those big billboards in town um, depicting Obama as Shem. They they took a stance against the nuclear. Um, deal with the US. And since then, they really have sponsored a vast amount of, of works, whether it's um, films, documentaries, television, television shows, and even animations uh, directed at children. In uh, a mission statement that's no longer available on their website, Oj notes that its aim is to produce art that promotes revolutionary discourse. It's also often explicitly clear, for example, in the case of the billboards that I was mentioning against the nuclear deal, that the work sponsored by OJ is not only engaging with current social and political development, but it's promoting a particular agenda in the face of these developments, and it's trying to bring in a younger audience. So because of this engagement with current events that's reflected in works that they sponsor, it's very important that I briefly just touch on a few of the events uh, surrounding the time of the release of these uh, these two works. So roughly between 2010 and uh, 2014, there were four Iranian nuclear scientists who were assassinated and one wounded on Iranian soil. December 2010, as most folks know, was also um, the start of the Arab Spring, along, starting with Tunisia and spreading across the region. But most Notably for Iran, it spread to Syria in March 2011. And Iran itself was in 2010 on the heels of the Iranian Green Movement, which was up to that point, the largest anti-government protest and post-revolutionary Iran. Um, when the demonstration started in uh, Syria and Iran became involved soon thereafter, uh, for a long time, they, were not open about their involvement. In fact, uh, it was either largely downplayed or straight up denied. However, sometime in May 2013, sources in Iran started using the phrase, quote, the martyrs protecting the tomb of Zainab as honorifics for Iranian killed in Syria as part of Iran's involvement in the Syrian civil war. So the emergence of this martyrs label indicated a radical shift because, you know, in the early years of the Syrian conflict, there were reports of soldiers who were killed in Syria secretly being buried in Iran. Um, it was very hush-hush, not acknowledging it. So all of a sudden, there's a shift from not just acknowledging that um, there's an intervention in Syria, but embracing it and casting it as a defense. And here is where this, the discourse, the ex long existing discourse on sacred defense becomes rhetorically useful. You have this... Uh, 
existing shell to uh, draw in a new definition of defense that suits the state's contemporary foreign and domestic policies, particularly foreign intervention. So this is the context. So this is these are the years before these two films um, uh, surrounding the time that these two films are released. And now I will turn our attention to talking about the films themselves. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parse. Your support is invaluable to us. To like, share, or listen to our latest episodes, please head to our pages on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. To watch the complete seminars, please head to the Elahe Omidyar Mirjalali Institute for Iranian Studies website and YouTube page, which are linked in the description. See you again on our next episode.